0: Looks like we are now live on Facebook and live on Sermon Audio, and we are also live. If you want to see this on our own website, the live page. Okay, so that we I consider that to be time for me to say something. Yeah. Okay, and you have a magic thumb, and you're happy, and everything's good. Oh yeah. Okay. <sighs> well, right off the bat, I should say that um, it snowed a foot in Anchorage. What what day was that? I don't know for sure, but it was just... Yeah, I think it was Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, yeah so broke all my trees. Not all of them, but it broke a bunch it's of them. Friday. It's not Friday. But, uh, we had a foot of snow on the hillside, and, and uh, that, that's Alaska in September, I did not it? And uh, I broke my glasses. Oh. So these are my painting glasses with, with the duct tape on them. And they are actually glass, so if I get paint on them, I can clean them with lacquer thinner. So... I have to get my glasses fixed. I can't see with them on anyway, so it's not that big a deal. So I'll have to take these off. They're too heavy to, to do that with. Okay, so we're off and running, I assume. Voice is a little bad today. We'll see how I do. September the 26th, uh, lecture discussion number 150 on the book of Joel, Daniel, Revelation, Ecclesiastes, Job, First Kings 13, and Second Kings 23. In other words, where we've been for what? Three years now? Pretty close. Today is going to be the seventh installment in the subset, this little uh, foray that I've done, that has been the Immortality of Animal series. Uh, when I began this sidebar, it was my intention to end at seven. I hope to end at seven lectures, and, but probably won't. Uh, I, I just couldn't do it. I tried. The, the task is just too great. There's so many things that can't be left out. And, and my thinking is I evaluated what I call the Essential Materials seven hours would suffice, uh, though uh, seven hours is nowhere close to completion completion of this uh, particular subject. The pursuit of adequacy with regard to this subject remains, um, as it applies uh, to the uh, resurrection of animal kingdom, Uh, I'm still way away from adequacy. In other words, the subject cannot be corralled in my view, in seven hours, or 70 hours, or 700 hours, or 7,000 hours, frankly, but I'm going to do the best I can. Maybe one more, maybe not, I don't know. The, The question really became why God resurrects the animals question, or matter if you want. That explodes all over the scriptures. Everywhere you can find it. This is the correct question, actually. It isn't Why doesn't he resurrect the animals? The question is really, why does he resurrect the animals? So the negative is an incorrect question. The the positive is the correct question. Why does he insist on resurrecting the animals? That is, again, the accurate question. And that's especially so uh, demonstrated in Revelation, Ecclesiastes, Leviticus, Numbers, Zechariah, Psalms, Job, Exodus, Isaiah, Daniel, Acts... 10, 9 through 15, for example, It's everywhere in the Bible. This subject, like I said, it explodes throughout Scripture. Uh, you'll find pieces of it all over the place where you least expect it. And I haven't brought up the Acts 10, 9 through 15, which is called the vision of Peter to this point. Uh, but as with all the other scriptures that refer or that reference the animal realm, Acts 10, 9 through 15 is powerful. So let's start there. That's where we'll start today. I wasn't going to read it because I wanted to rush through times... Uh, But uh, it it demands that I do read it. Uh, Eventually, I came to that conclusion. So here we are. Peter's vision, it'll be called in most of your Bibles in the heading. You have to ask if that's correct, and I'll get into that in a minute. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, why does he go up on the housetop to pray? Why the sixth hour? Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. Was he hungry before he went up there, or did he become hungry in the praying process? Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object or a vessel like a great sheet bound at the four corners descended to him and let down to the earth. In it were all animals of four-footed Nature, In other words, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, No. Peter has a habit of saying no to Christ, doesn't he? Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything defiled or unclean. That's what he said. Do you believe him? And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call defiled. This was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven. Three times this happened. Why three times? But again, what God has cleansed, you must not call defiled. So Peter calls the animals unclean and defiled and God rebukes him three times. What God has cleansed, uh, obviously people make connections to the three times he denied Christ. But what God has cleansed, you must not call unholy. That would be a correct translation as well. The traditional commentary, as you know, on Peter's vision has been the symbolism that attaches to the Leviticus uh, dietary restrictions, which is Leviticus 11. Uh, for example, the permitted and forbidden foods, the clean and the unclean. That's where almost every scholar goes. M- most scholars propose or they emphasize that the clean animals represent Israel. And the unclean represent the Gentiles. And, and I really don't have any quarrel with that possibility. That, the, that this is the unification of the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, that involvement is inside this. I don't disagree. Um. And, and the unification of the Jews and the Gentiles, as you know, that's, that's the third of the eleven mysteries. So, obviously, it's going to be elsewhere in the Bible. That's Ephesians 3, 3 through 6. <clears throat> All that said, I think, however, that as is always the case. There's a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, much more than is being revealed at Acts 10, 9 through 15. Than just the unification of the Jews and the Gentiles, and, the, and Leviticus uh, permitted and forbidden foods, the clean and the unclean. Uh, the animals are cleansed. He says it three times. Three times this happened. A powerful declaration from God Himself. The animals are holy. Jesus Christ, who that's God, as you know, Jesus God. Use cleansed in Matthew eight three, the cleansing of the of the leper, leper. Sorry, I can't speak today. The leper, and it says, behold, a leper came to Christ and worshipped him, which is exactly what you do when you come to Christ. How do you worship Christ? You worship him as who? As God himself, and that's what the leper did. And the leper says to God in the flesh, this fantastic sentence: Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, God, touches the leper saying, I am willing to be cleansed, he says. And there's an important point there that God has a will. So cleansed by God is to be declared purified. And we know that leprosy is what in this Bible? What is it a symbol of? We all know what it is. I hope we do. It is a symbol of sin and death. And sin and death are synonymous, or coupled in the Bible. And God in the Bible uses leprosy as a symbol for sin and death repeatedly. And the cleansing of leprosy is a sign of what? When you cleanse somebody of sin and death, what have you done? What is the doctrine here? That's salvation. The cleansing of sin and death of the leprosy is a is salvation. Salvation is typified, typified. I'm sorry, as a pure, white, clean garment. So when you're cleaned of sin and death, you have a pure, white, clean garment on you. Uh, Revelation 3.18, 7.14, 6.11. So, all the kinds of the animals of the earth were revealed to Peter as being in heaven. Acts 10.15. What's the obvious question there? Acts 10.11. They're in heaven. They have to be let down for Peter to see him, see them. Heaven opens and a great sheet the sins in the sheet were animals, cleansed, saved, safeguarded animals. And obviously, I want to know things now. I want to ask some simple questions. We had a discussion earlier, Dave and I, about whether or not there is such a thing as a simple question in the Bible. Uh, I, I err on the side of complexity, obviously, and I'm I'm willing to stand before the throne and say I believe the Bible was incredible, interconnected. It, it, It is an amazing, infinite mind that wrote it. That's what I'm willing to say. Obviously, I want to know these things. I want to ask some simple questions. First off the bat is how. And second off the bat is when. How, when did these animals ascend into heaven? Because that's where they have to be in order to be descended in a sheet three times. When were they cleansed? Because God declares God Himself says the animals are cleansed. Clearly, Acts ten, eleven through fifteen is bound, it's conjoined to Ecclesiastes three, eighteen through twenty two, where we've been for all this time. Ecclesiastes twelve, seven as well, and, and it should be investigated alongside of Ecclesiastes three, eighteen and twenty two. And the most obvious of the obvious questions is, of course, are these resurrected animals? And the answer is what? Yes. The answer is yes. These are resurrected animals. So the question begins again, I feel like a five year old. When were they resurrected? Well for that we'll have to see. Here's the easiest question which answers the previous question. Who resurrected them? Oh my gosh. Duh. How did they get resurrected? When do you suppose the one who is, who personifies, who embodies resurrection, who calls himself the resurrection, he and resurrection are, are synonymous. He calls himself resurrection and life, John eleven twenty five. 25. He is the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection. There is no life without him. When, when did he resurrect those, these animals that are in heaven and revealed to Peter in Acts 10 as being in heaven? I want to know and I got it that the annihilationists will clamor and say this was just a vision that's what they'll say just a vision we don't all, you know ah, it's a vision not to be taken literally mm-hmm. to which uh, I have a response <clears throat> how complex are the visions that God gives uh-huh. how accurate are they how much do they represent the conditions of true events uh, why is this a vision? Why is this vision in Scripture? God puts it in the Bible, in, in Acts 10. That's the Holy Spirit doing this. Why is it in the Bible if it is insignificant? It can't be insignificant. It's not possible that it's in this insignificant because it's in the Bible. There is nothing insignificant in all of Scripture. So, what about Ezekiel's visions? We throw those out? How about Jacob's vision? God proclaims, He displays what He intends and what He has done. And Acts 10, 9 through 15 is both of those. He is displaying what He intends and what He has already done. That's what He does. Acts 10, 11 through 15 is also tied to Revelation 5, 8 through 14. So I have Revelation 5, 8 through 14, and I have Acts 10. Uh, I'll go all the way to, what did I say, 11 through 15? Let me make sure I get that right. Yeah, 11 through 15. That's what I've been saying. Now I have this thing stuck to me. There it goes. Those are tied together because I have the same pattern, the same thing going over and over and over again. And that is what we've done before. I've said there are three kingdoms. We have an angel kingdom. We have an animal kingdom. And we have a mankind One, two, three. That's the order. I'm trying to pound that in today. It happens over and over and over again. Revelation eight, five, eight through fourteen. What do I have? I have the angels, the animals, and mankind. Singing a new song. Where are they in Revelation 5? 8-14. Why does it attach to Acts 10, 11-15? Because in 5, 8-14, I have the angels, the animals, and, the, and men called the elders singing a new song and shouting with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Blessings and honor and glory to Him who sits on the throne. The angels, the animals, and mankind. That order is there again. Every faithful angel, all the animals that were in heaven, I'm going to say it this way. Every faithful angel and all the animals that were in heaven at this time and all of mankind that were brought to heaven by Christ at this point. And I'm saying at this point because there are more resurrections to come. So at this point, I have all of these animals and all of these angels and all of these men here at Revelation 5, 8 through 14. They're all singing together. They're all shouting together. So we learn that animals in heaven can sing and animals in heaven can shout praises to God. So something has to happen for that. Just how significant, how exhaustive is the resurrection of, Of the animals and humanity. There's this order to resurrections. It's a complicated study, as we should expect that, right? But again, there's this order. He has an order of resurrections and he has this order as well angel, animal, mankind order. We would expect that they would fit together somewhere, somehow, right? Wouldn't we? Of course we would, and that's true. For today at Acts 10, we know the resurrection of Christ has occurred at Acts 10. It already happened. We and so that's one thing that we know. We know that paradise was empty. That's the second thing we know. Likewise that has been completed. And then we know that the come up here of Revelation 4:1 is over because obviously that happened in 4:1. Revelation 4 Revelation 5 were two pieces. Of the same story, if you want to think of it that way. Peter's vision, what Peter saw, would be post. It would be after the resurrection of Christ and after Christ's evacuation of paradise. Last Sunday, Lecture 149, I hope. What is it today? 150. Yay! I can add one digit at a time to things now. Uh In my dotage. Revelation 5 from last uh, uh, last week's lecture, I, I attached to it Deuteronomy 6.4, which is the Shema. And, and whenever I see Revelation 5 and Deuteronomy 6.4 and I bring them together um, as they should be, I also need to add Ecclesiastes 3.21. Because whenever I'm doing six four and Revelation five, I have to solve Ecclesiastes three twenty one, because it fits in there. Obviously, I could go all the way back to Ecclesiastes uh, three eighteen through twenty as well, because I can't separate those. And I also can't I can't get rid of Ecclesiastes three twenty two, which I haven't done yet. I wanted to do it today, but I found out when I got to 5,000 words that I still hadn't entered it into the lecture. So, guess what we're doing next week, we hope. Okay, where was I? Ecclesiastes 6.4 is God is one. He's one. That's a one three seven that I did a while back. He's one. God is one. That's a fantastic truth. It's something that every Jew knows. God is one God. He's triune, we know that, Elohim, Genesis 1.1. He's the us, 126, 3.22. We know there are three that are one. They don't believe that. They think that that's polytheism, the Jews do. But we understand it as, no, it's triunity. Sameness. and It is an interwoven, yet distinct. I have three persons that are distinct, but I have one God. a very difficult doctrine, I get that. You don't understand it because man didn't design it. Man would never design something like that. So you know right off the bat there's something special here. Okay. God is one. How many breasts does he have? I had. I think I, I read this uh, to uh, Dave and Terry and Lori. I don't know that I read it last week. And I don't listen to myself because I go, what is that idiot doing? Uh so I have a tendency to, to not listen to myself. Hang on, let me it. Here we go. God is one God, Deuteronomy 6, 4. He has one breath of life. That's all he's got. He doesn't, we don't have multiple breaths of life from God. He has one breath of the spirit of life, and that's it. But listen to the commentary from this particular Bible that I have. And the commentary is almost always Nonsense. Uh, I, I just can't believe it in, in this particular translation. I read it because I, it's a large print. But I argue with the, with the commentary, the, the scholastic element of it all the time. Okay, this is what it says about 321. Who knows the spirit of the sons of, the, the breath of the sons of Adam, which goes upwards, and the breath of the animal, which goes down the earth. Here's how they define that. Here's what they say. They say man's breath or physical life, appears on the surface to be a little different than that of the animal. Now you go back to 3.18-21, through it says, it's the same. Same, 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 same. And then they look at 3.21 and they go, no, it's different. I hope I said that right. Man's breath or physical life appears on the surface to be a little different than that of an animal. In reality, man's soul differs in that God has made him eternal. What's the implication? That animals are not eternal. There is no immortality in animals. That's the implication. That is how badly done this particular subject is. How many breaths, they're saying that God has more than one breath. He has one breath for man and he has another breath for animals. Explain that to God. What are you doing? Dissecting your breath. You make one part of your breath to be inferior and you're going to give that to animals. And part of your breath is going to be superior and you're going to put that part over here. You've got got bifurcation here and it just is ridiculous on its face but that is the, the common position in the church today overwhelmingly it's the common position in the scholastic academic realm if you want to call it a realm I would call it What do I, I won't call it okay Revelation 5 describes the throne room of heaven a door has been opened that's how it gets back to Acts 10 11-15 a door has been opened in Revelation uh Five. The first voice like a trumpet speaks and says, come up here in Revelation 4.1. And so John is in heaven instantly and he is noticing what's going on. I'm sorry, the door opens in, Re- in Revelation 4.1, not Revelation 5. But in Revelation 5, that's where he ends up in, is the throne room. Come up here, Revelation 4.1. John, again, is in heaven instantly here. And some might say instantly would be like a twinkling of an eye. First 1 Corinthians 15.52. And in Revelation 4, 2, Jesus Christ is sitting sitting on this throne of heaven, the throne of God. And Revelation 4 introduces the 24 elders who sit on 24 thrones and the four living creatures. And the word for creatures there is zoa. And here's where the old King James does something very interesting. It translates those two Greek words every time the same word as beasts. They recognize they're animals. I give them that. The old King James did great there. But they didn't make any differentiation, any differentiation, and I don't know that they should have. We'll have to get to that in in time to come. But in the Old King James, translates Zoa as beasts. Revelation four seven, the word zoon is used four times, and as you know, zoon is the root of zoology, which it it means animals. And again, the uh, Old King James says beasts every time. The Old King James translates beasts or zoon to beast also. The New King James doesn't do that. This is New King James, what I'm reading. The New King James translates zoon as living creatures. And I believe that they are more correct. Of course, that would comport or comply with Genesis 120, 121, 124, 128, 130, and 722. Yes? That might have had to do with uh, one of the translators of the New King James which as you know he did Genesis mostly uh, his translation was Genesis but uh, that's Dr. Henry Morris yeah uh, Dave points out Henry Morris' contribution to all of this process and he's absolutely right Henry Morris understood uh, uh, in my opinion as much as I've read again every time I read somebody the, the, their positions move along and so you have to read what they wrote at the very end of their uh, theological career, if you will. But in any event, the New King James translates Zoon as living creatures. And that, again, complies with, in my opinion, all of Genesis 1.20, 1.21, 1.24, 1.28, 1.30, 1.32, where they are described as using, or being living creatures. But in Genesis, it is not Zoon. Now, of course it wouldn't be. This is Greek. In Genesis, it is "ruach." And it is nafesh, And then, then it is shaha. And, uh, and it is, it, see, you'll see it this way. Uh, you'll see it this way. Uh, and you'll see it this way. But the pronunciation has this breath element. All of them have a breath element. So that's what the old King James, I'm sorry, that's what the uh, Genesis Hebrew says, these animals are. And describes humanity, 2.7, exactly the same. And does the same thing in Ecclesiastes 3.18-20. So, living creatures is absolutely correct. And the old King James uses living creatures at 120, 121, 128, and 130. So, it's doing the same thing and Revelation five as it does in Genesis 120, 121, twenty one, one twenty eight, one thirty. So placing Revelation five, you should do that alongside of Genesis one. You're reading Genesis one, then you've got Genesis you got Revelation five. Put the Greek with the zoom to the Ha Ha Shia, whatever. I've heard it pronounced so many times now, I'm not sure which way is the best. I have a tendency to to gravitate to this one because this one and this one and this one all sound similar to me. But I, I recognize the other one is also there. So, again, place Revelation 5 alongside Genesis 1 and you will see the same depiction of the animals. That's why they're there together. Animals, All animals are described in Genesis 1 and, Gen- and Revelation 5 as immortal and resurrected. As usual, that's basic math. You take all of these pieces. These are all numbers. You want to think of them as numbers. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then you got all these numbers over here. And you just put them all together in an equation. You're going to find out that they're saying the same thing over and over again. Last Sunday, I attempted to emphasize that Revelation 5, 11 through 14 is reiterative. In other words, it's duplicative of Job 38, 7, Job 38, 12 through 15 and Genesis 1, 20 through. Oh, that should be 42, 12 through instead of 38 should be 42. I'm pretty sure. So Job 38, and Job 42, 12 through 15 and Genesis 1, 20 through 31. The angels saw Job 38, 7 and sh- sang and sh- shouted for joy. When the foundations of the earth were fastened. And I believe, as you know, if you've been with me for any length of time, you've listened to anything I've said, that Job 38, 6-7 brings information to Ezekiel 28, which is Satan in the mineral garden. And Isaiah 14, which is the, the I wills of Satan. He will become like the Most High. He will ascend over the angelic realm. He will get to the high mountain of God. He will be like God. And of course, that's Genesis one, one through nineteen, the first four days. All of that fits together. That's the why of the darkness and the waters of Genesis one, two through nine. Why is the earth dark, and why does it is it covered with water? I believe, as you know, that that is connected to Job thirty-eight, six through seven, and Ezekiel twenty-eight and Isaiah fourteen. And so uh, now I have the gathering of the waters, the fifth day. Um, so I have the first four days, and then it comes this gathering of the, wa- of the waters at the end of the fourth day. And the fifth day, I might have said that goofy, I submit with something of a shock. So i got the four days, i got the darkness separated, I've got all of this singing and shouting of Joy 38.7 and Joe. Uh, and then at the end of that, I have the gathering of the waters. The waters are no longer in a dominant position all over the earth. Separation of light and darkness. Separation of the waters from the land, right? So that separation, that dividing is occurring. And then we have the fifth day. And I think the angels were all singing and happy and jumping up and down. And then the fifth day comes. And I think the fifth day was a shock. Because God did something that they did not expect, in my view. Again, he has his order. One, two, three, four, five. Five is a departure from one, two, three, and four. What did he do on day five? What he did then was this. The breath of the spirit of life of God. The Ruach. The Nefesh. The Haya. I said that right. I apologize for being ignorant Gentile. So that's what he did. Animals were created with the breath of God inside them. And the angels saw that. And and I think it would be appropriate to consider the response of the cherubim specifically. For example, I have a description of them in Ezekiel 1, 4 through 28. When all of a sudden they see created, what did they see? They saw lions and ox and eagles and man, eventually. And I went, what is this? Because we are what? Cherubim are lions and ox. They have the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, and the face of a man. And all of a sudden, these things, as I mentioned before, are individualized. They are separated out of the cherubim and made by God. And He puts His breath of life in them. He breathes it into them. And that resurfaces, all of this resurfaces is something to be considered when we, we compare Revelation 4 with Revelation 5. We have to do that because there's a view that says the four living creatures are the cherubim and the living creatures are the animals. So they're separated there. Now, some people, you'll find wonderful theologians that say, no, they're all animals. Everything in Revelation 5 is an animal. There are no cherubim there. But the cherubim are described very much uh, in Ezekiel one four through twenty eight as they are as something is in Revelation five. Anyway, so we're going to have to compare Revelation four, and Revelation five with Genesis one twenty uh, through one thirty one, the fifth and sixth days, especially uh, the fact that in Genesis one twenty six that statement there that the Elohim, the triune God, that when he says that man. Not only has my breath inside of him, but he is in the image of God. And as you know, it is my position that the angels were stunned there also. This was a concussive event to the angels. They were blown away. Here. I want you to think about that for a moment. Animals. Rah. Nefesh. ha The breath of God is inside them. They have flesh They have blood. They resemble somewhat the cherubim. Then Adam is formed. And Adam also has the same breath of God as the animals. Genesis 2.7, Ecclesiastes 3.19, Ecclesiastes 12.7. So he does it to animals. Then he selects out a man. He does it with the man. And then he also says man, before he does any of that, man is in our image. And man has also flesh and blood. But again, Adam is in the image of God. I think that was an explosive thing to say. That's the old boom shakalaka. So the orders. Once more, I have angels, then I have animals, and then I have mankind. Revelation five eleven has that angels, animals, mankind. It's repeated. Not just the angels are singing and shouting, but now the animals and the men are singing and shouting. Revelation five thirteen. And they're shouting because the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, Revelation five one through six, has taken and is able and is worthy. I'm sorry, worried worthy water. the Lamb of God in Revelation 5 is worthy to open this scroll. And only Jesus Christ, Revelation 5, 3, can even look at the scroll. You can't even look at it. There's an uncountable number, multitude of angels and animals and humanity in Revelation 5. Again, how do they get there? They're in heaven in the throne room and they witness the loosing of the seals on the scroll, the opening of the scroll, and the prevailing to read the scroll. And there's this... this uh, how do I put it? In John, there is this despair because no one can read the scroll, the scroll until finally someone says, John, listen, somebody can read the scroll. Somebody can open the scroll. Somebody can touch the scroll. Look at the scroll. Take the scroll. Obviously, we need to know what that scroll is, what it says, what it means. And who's there? Who's watching that? How significant is the opening of the scroll? The majority opinions of most authors and scholars is that this scroll is the deed of the earth. It's the title. It must then only be the possessor of the earth who can take the scroll. So if you're the owner of the earth, then you can open the deed. And I think that's correct, though I would suggest that the scroll also contains... Something that every deed contains, mostly, not every deed, but certainly the paperwork around the deed. If I buy a house, what do I have in my my portfolio on that house? I have the price paid. And so I'm suggesting that the price paid, uh, it's a bill of sale, in other words. He bought the earth. What did he use for currency? The cost of possession is included, in other words, in this document. What is the currency? The currency is blood. His blood. That's the cost. The blood shed, the blood spilled. For whom was the blood shed? Who is cleansed by the blood? Uh, Leviticus 16, uh, 30. John 1, 7, right? Uh, That's where the song comes from. Cleansed by the blood. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Psalm 51, 7. Christ's blood cleanses. So what do I got at Acts ten? He says three times, do not call defiled that which I have cleansed. Three times he says that. And then he pulls them back up into heaven, doesn't he? So he shows everything that he has cleaned. It's think of it as laundry. I'm kidding. But he's cleaned all of these animals. Three times he said, do not call defiled what I have called cleansed. How did he cleanse them? What's the cleansing system? The cleansing system is the blood of Christ. All of those animals had to be soaked in the blood of Christ. They're all cleaned. That's the only cleaning there is. What does it mean to be soaked in the blood of Christ? What is that? That is a statement of what? Salvation. Eternity. The cost of possession is included. The blood payment. Okay, where am I now? Angels do not have flesh and blood. That's why this is, again, a concussive result for them. They do not have flesh and blood. They are able to manifest themselves physically. We've previously discussed uh, Genesis uh, 19, for example. 18, 19. Angels, as we have also examined, are not in the image of God. They do not have flesh. They do not have blood, and they do not have the image of God. Adam was in the likeness (Genesis 1, 26, 27). And behold, Adam—like I jump up up down—and behold, Adam became like one of the Elohim. It says, and that again, that's repeated in Romans 5:14. Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. He became like one of the us (Genesis 3:22). Genesis 3.22, you've got to meditate on that. Behold, Adam has become as one of us, like one of us. Adam portrays Christ. And we've never solved the totality of Adam's typology of Christ. It's yet to be discovered. There's so much there we can't even begin to calculate it. It's incredible, the typology of Christ. Adam's likeness is certainly uh, his appearance, his form, his physical structure. He shares that. With Christ in some regard, I think the Genesis 2-7 the breath of God comes into the arena here. Christ breathed into Adam and the animals His breath, His breath of the spirit of life. Remember, there's only one breath of the spirit of life, and, he, and that went into the animals and it went into Adam, and, this, and the angels watched this. What were they thinking? And Christ is described as walking in the garden. So I have the Christ puts His breath inside of Adam, and that makes a likeness element, doesn't it? But he also put it inside of the animals. And he does not say that the animals are in his image. They don't look like him. The animals don't. As Acts as says, they have, many of them have four legs. So get, Christ is described as walking in the garden, right? That needs to be re- reviewed by us. It needs to be included. All appearances of Christ who is the last Adam, connect to the first Adam because he declares Adam to be in his image. And walking is a restriction of gravity. Uh, Angels do not seem to be impacted by gravitational forces. God put himself in a position where he walked like Adam walked. He he reproduced Adam's uh, physical capability. When you watch Christ walk, you would watch Adam walk. Okay, how am I doing for time? Doing good. Did that bell go off because I'm in trouble? No. Okay. And all of this leads to the breath of God. Do angels have the breath of God? Um, Does that sound again? It's okay. Saying. That's message that's because I didn't turn the, my sounds off of my phone. It's okay. 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 So he's going to be arrested? Is that what you're telling me? The, the IRS are coming? Not Do they know where we live? Yes, they no do. <laughs> do angels have the breath of God? Why did God breathe His Ruach, Nafesh, Ha, Shia into the animals and mankind? And why did He do it before, do it to the animals before He did it to Adam? Because He did. What's His reason? You see, if the angels do not have the breath of the Spirit of life, Genesis 7:22. If they don't have that, there's something that we have to we have to work with here. i have got to pause for a second. I should interject that man and animals are coupled and linked at Genesis 7:23. They say the same thing in Genesis 7:23 that they say in Ecclesiastes 3:18 through 19. So connect all of that. In fact, 7:23 states it twice. Both man and animals behama. And that's where we get behemoth from, right? Both man and animals, behemoth, and creeping things and birds. Then the Bible says only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained seven twenty three. And behemoth is at is at Genesis one twenty four, where he says he brings the animals to Adam to name, among other things. That's that that context. All of that is happening at one twenty four. Okay, seven twenty-three again. Noah and th- those animals are all that remained in the ark. So who's with Noah? Yeah, the, his his family and animals. That's all that remained. And for the passenger manifest, just to make sure you understand what I'm trying to say, seven fourteen sixteen of Genesis. They and every animal. And what's the word for animal in that verse? It's back here again. ha huh. Ha ha, living soul. He says, living soul. They and every living soul, all flesh that has the breath of life. Rosh. That's Ecclesiastes three nineteen again. He equates Noah and the animals at seven twenty three. Anyway, if the angels do not have the breath of God, if they do not have flesh and blood, how do you explain that? Why don't they have it? It's really good to have it, don't you think? How come they don't have it? Why are they not the same as man and animals in this respect? Man and animals are the same. They both have this. Okay? Oops, I left out the bottom one. have to do this correct. They have that. But angels do not. Why not? What's he doing? They are not the same as man and animals in this respect, if I am correct. Angels do have immortality. We know that. The eternity of the new city of Jerusalem and the lake of fire makes that definitive. They're both evidences of angelic immortality. Eternity, one thing of it that way. Eternity and immortality is not the same as salvation, it's the same as existence. But anyway, we know the new city of Jerusalem is an eternal city and we know the lake of fire is a what? Also an eternal city. I want to think of it that way. Tale of two cities. Ah, I should write a book. One city is the new Jerusalem from above. The other city is the lake of fire. Faithful angels are residents of the new city of Jerusalem. Revelation 21:12, 12. Hebrews 12:22. 12, There's an innumerable, uncountable, cannot be counted by man or angel, number of angels, in the new city of uh, Jerusalem, Hebrews 12.2. And fallen angels will be in the eternal lake of fire. their power taken from them, Matthew 10.28. That's what it means. Um, Fear him who can destroy you into the lake of fire, essentially. Matthew 25.41. It means to take their power away. That's what that phrase means does not mean annihilate, stop it. So angels, they do not have mortality. No mortality. But for now, they also do not have blood, flesh, or the breath of God. And we'll soon see, I hope, if that remains. Because mankind has changed, as I have said recently, and animals have changed, we know that, upon resurrection. We have already gone over that. Does Matthew twenty two thirty and Luke twenty thirty-six imply that angels will likewise be changed? Uh, it would seem to be the most consistent result, in my opinion. Okay, animals I'm sorry, angels, animals, and mankind, Psalm 148.2. Here it goes again. Do we have Psalm 1482 up here? No? Once again, here we go. He does it over and over and again. Psalm 148, 7 through 10. Psalm 148, 11 through 12. I have... All right, seven, ten. Let me write it down. Yeah. Oh, 11, 8 through 12. Actually, I'll cut it back. I'll just make it 11 and 12. Just to make it simpler. Okay. What do I got? I got this. I got angels, animals, and mankind. I got angels, animals, and mankind. In Psalm 148. The pattern in Psalm 148, 2 through 12, once again is is given to us why does God keep saying angels, animals, and mankind? Angels, animals, and mankind. Keep keeps saying it over and over and over again. Why is it so important that we know this? We know that. Psalm 148 is one of the hallelujah psalms. The final, I'm sorry, the final five. The praise ye the Lord psalms. I got Psalms 146, 147, 148, 149, 150. They all do the same thing. They're talking about singing and shouting praises to the Lord. What's Revelation 5 talking about? Singing and shouting praises to the Lord. So here we go again. Revelation 5, Psalm 148. Psalm 148 is demonstrated, fulfilled in Revelation 5, 11 through 14. Angels and. Anim- They'll say there really aren't any animals in Revelation 5. Well, there's animals in Psalm. 148, 7 through 10, and it's exactly the same as Revelation 5, 8 through 14. 11 through 14. The animals, the the angels, the animals, mankind in heaven all praise the Lord God. Thank you for the time. I'm doing good. I only got 12, 15 more pages to go. Our so, Facebook accounts just went off all over. All over. Everybody said, Oh, forget it, I'm gonna watch football. Okay. The angels, the animals, the mankind, the elders in heaven all praise the Lord God. That's what Psalm one forty eight is demonstrating. Revelation five thirteen, the word for animal creatures is kittisma in the Greek. Ketisma. That's the Greek In in Revelation 5. It's only used twice. The other place that it is, is in 1 Timothy 4.4. Where it says, all the animals created by God are good. So, I have animals in Revelation 5. Thisma. And the Hebrew word is in Genesis 1.24. Behemah. Animals, and ha-haya, living soul. And the living soul animals in Timothy and in Revelation, they're dedicated to God. They're sanctified. Every creature of God is good. They are sanctified, consecrated, blessed, hallowed, dedicated to God. That's what that word means in 1 Timothy four four. Again it's basic math. It's always math, right? Mm-hmm. You collect Revelation 5:13, you collect Revelation or Psalm 148 uh, 10, you collect 1st Timothy 4:4, 4, 4. you collect Genesis 1:24. You put them all together in one little bowl and you look at it and what do you got? All animals are in the throne room of God and they can and they are dedicated and they are good and they are consecrated and they are cleansed and they are resurrected. That's what you get. There's no other conclusion. You can't cast out animals. You just can't. Well you can, but then you'd be what? That's right, an idiot. I'm sorry. Not really. (laughs) I have a tendency to make fake sorries. I'm just tired of it. It's fatiguing. It's destructive. It's it's indefensible. And yet it prevails. It's trumpeted. It's celebrated. Drives me mad. Oh, wait a minute. I might have already been mad. <laughs> mad has multiple meanings, as you know. Yeah. You pick the one that you think is applicable. Animals are in the throne room of God and they cannot be newly created animals, as some would like to say, to repeat a key truth. Creation ended in Genesis one Got to know that. Genesis one thirty-one. It's in here because what happened in Genesis 1.31, that's the, that is the end of the sixth day. That is the very good of the sixth day. He looked at everything and he said it was very good. 1 Timothy 4, four animals are good. Which means the only avenue that remains at Revelation 5.13 is resurrection. There's no other way you can get animals in heaven other than to resurrect them, to bring them there. Living souls, the animals of Revelation five thirteen are living souls who are who have been resurrected, which sends us back now to Acts ten nine through fifteen, where we sort of started. the The it says "panta terapoda," which means uh, the animals are the four legged. These are the four-legged. All the four-legged, it says. Pata, terapoda, in the Greek. In the great sheet were all the four-footed and the herpeta, the crawling things. That's the Greek. The great sheet. Well, this is a great sheet, it said. Remember, the great sheet. How big is great here? How great is great? What are the dimensions of the vessel or the object that is like a great sheet? Because this is a vessel or an object. The word is vessel. This is a vessel that looks like a great sheet. And there are uncountable animals in it. How big is it? To contain all of those. And it's descending from heaven. What is this three times thing? And heaven opens up. How important is it when you see heaven open up? Well, it's just a vision How important is the opening of heaven? How many animals were in this great vessel that looks like a sheet? The answer is always the same answer whenever you have this question. It's incalculable. Incalculable. Can't say it fast. In other words, only God can count them. Only God knows the the number. The number is astronomical. Astronomic. It's, if you have an astronomical number, what do you have? You have a number that is equivalent to what? To the number of stars. Can man count the number of stars? No, he can't. Will he ever be able to? No. How about angels? They got an abacus. Are you going to collect sticks? Who can count it? Only God can count it. Only God knows it. And so, too, is the number of animals that are in heaven. It is not calculable. It's innumerable. And this relationship has long been known by theologians. It harmonizes with Genesis 22:17. 17. I could put that on the board, but I'm running out of time. And yes, I am. Got to go. And that's where the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus Christ himself, promises Abraham that his descendants will number, will be multiplied as the stars and as the sand. Start counting sand. Pound it while you're at it. If you have this view that animals are not immortal. So when were these animals resurrected? The Acts 10, 9 through 15 animals. How did they get to heaven? They had to be resurrected. When was that happening? When were the five eleven through 13 animals resurrected? In both cases, the process is actually not difficult to resolve. What becomes intriguing is these templates, these patterns that exist here. It's already been established that the resurrection of humanity has an order. It has stages, if you want to think of it that way. There is a division as well. The first resurrection and the second resurrection. There's two resurrections there, but each resurrection has stages. So I have lots of resurrections, but you divide it into the first and the second. The first resurrection refers to those who will enter the new city from above the new city of Jerusalem. Revelation 21. So if you're in the first resurrection, which is the one to be in, Then you go to New Jerusalem. If you're in the second second resurrection, that's those who will be cast into the lake of fire, also called the second death. Revelation 20.14. I should again interject that nowhere in Scripture are animals living, immortal, eternal beings ever included in the second death. They're just never there. None are in the lake of fire. They are only described in the Bible as resurrected in heaven. You only find them in heaven. Anyway, the first fruits of the first resurrection the first fruits of the first resurrection, the first of the first, one thing of that way, that's Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians fifteen, twenty three. He's the first fruits. Now we have the Matthew twenty seven, fifty one through fifty three. That's the saints that during the crucifixion that came out of the grave, and they were resurrected at Christ's death. But they are also resurrected or raised by Jesus. And I would proffer that they wait for him. Because they know what's going on. But I, by that I mean Christ descends to proclaim to the imprisoned angels. First Peter 3.18, 2 Peter 2.4, John 20.17, 20, and John 26.29. 20, he descends first to those angels and then he ascends. John. That's why I brought up John 20. Because there's this interval between Mary Magdalene being forbidden to touch Christ and Thomas being ordered to touch Christ. So there's something going on here. We've covered that many times in the past. The difference being that Jesus had not yet ascended. He goes to the throne room in the interim between Mary and Thomas. We have a Mary Thomas thing. And in the middle of that, he goes to heaven. So no time today to discuss why he's doing this other than to make sure you know that it is his responsibility because he's the high priest. his prophet. He's become the high priest. Prophet, high priest, king. He's going to purify the heavenly things. What's he going to use to purify it? What's the cleansing system? The holy places that are made with hands on earth are not, they are just copies of the true holy things that are in heaven. Hebrews 9.23 The point being, yea, a point finally, huzzah. There is this interlude. Christ has had an angelic realm commission that he is doing, both in heaven and in this imprisonment when he goes to both places. He's doing something for the faithful angels and he's doing something, uh, he proclaims something to the unfaithful angels. One's the city of Jerusalem, the other is the lake of fire. The proclamation and the purification were targeted to the angelic realm, the faithful and the fallen. Eventually, Christ. Who evacuated paradise and ascends to heaven? Acts not one nine through eleven. In this pillar of cloud, the whirlwind Ezekiel one four one twenty six. So when he he ascends again in Acts one nine through eleven, and they all watch him go. The question then becomes what? Who was with him? Who went with him? Obviously, all of paradise he emptied it. Who's in paradise? He obviously wasn't alone. Why would he be alone? What made you think that he went alone when he ascended into the world? When in Acts 1, 9 through 11? Who was in paradise? Who's in the bosom of Abraham? Luke 16, 22. Luke 23, 43. Ecclesiastes 12, 1. Um, That's Lazarus. That is the thief that says, remember me. And that is Ecclesiastes 12, 1. It says, remember your Lord just before you die. Great idea. In any event, all that were in the bosom of Abraham, in paradise, same thing. All that were there were taken by Christ to heaven, and all means all. Obviously, I am inferring that the animal kingdom was in paradise. All animals that had died from Adam were in paradise. This explains how they got into the great sheet. It is the only explanation. It's singular. There is no other explanation that can do that. They had to be in paradise in order to get into the great sheet. In the great vessel that looked like a sheet. Okay, I'm running out of time as usual. Jesus resurrected himself three days, three nights, sign of Jonah, Matthew twelve, thirty-nine through forty. John two nineteen. The bosom of Abraham and the saints of Matthew twenty seven, fifty one through fifty-three are taken up. Also the animals that had died from Adam, all of them were taken up. What is the magnitude of his resurrection power? How many is he going to resurrect? Does he like being a resurrector and the life guy? Does he like that job? How many is only going to take? Five? Is that your position? Are we going to be 12, 15 people here? A couple animals? No. Look at how he describes them. Ruas nefesh, ha, That's how he describes them. That's my breath is in them. That's my breath. I only have one breath, you idiot. How many living souls will he resurrect? Remember, there are two resurrections divided into an order, each one according to their own order. First Corinthians fifteen twenty through twenty three. For as in all, as in Adam all die. When he says as in Adam all die, who's died? Who's the ones that die? When he says plants die. Okay. When he says as for as in Adam all die, what's he mean by that? All obviously includes animals, because animals die. you got that? I know it's true. Animals die because of who? Adam. Adam's sin caused the death of animals. So if in all of, all die as in Adam, then all live as in what? Christ. Anyway, the first stage of the first resurrection is complete. The, the second stage of the first resurrection, uh, Occurs in First Thessalonians four sixteen and Revelation four, so I have the first resurrection. That is when he resurrects the Old Testament saints. That is when he goes and proclaims. That is when he goes to heaven and purifies. That is when he takes the entire paradise, and evacuates it, puts it in a big vessel that looks like a sheep, ascends into heaven in Acts one. That's the first stage of the first resurrection. There's obviously a second stage. That's Revelation four one. That explains how the animals are singing in Revelation 5. Because what comes after Revelation 4? Here's profound truth. Revelation 5. Mm -hmm. And so there we go. That explains the singing and the shouting and the praising. Psalms 146, 147, 148, 149, 150. Revelation 5, 11 through 15. Did I finish? No. Not even close. See you next week. Both of you. You're still with me.